1: PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Hello, dear Dabbler. Well, it's me, Hadja, on my own again, which means it's another guest special. In this episode, I speak to Jacob Hawley. Now, Jacob's been described as the distinctly millennial rising star of the Edinburgh Fringe, and you might well have seen him popping up on your BBC feed. More than a critically acclaimed comedian, Jacob's the creator and presenter of three highly lauded BBC Sounds podcast series. On Love, his follow-up to On Drugs, takes a thoroughly modern look at love, sex and relationships, covering everything from porn to polyamory. You can hear his podcasts and his latest Radio 4 stand-up special, Class Act, on BBC Sounds now. I chased down Jacob for an interview after hearing him describe himself as working class by Radio 4 standards, and I wanted to know exactly what he meant by that. Enjoy this latest guest special of the Dabblers Book Club. Hey Jacob how are you?
0: I'm good how are you?
2: Yeah not bad not bad thanks so much for joining me on this it's really good to have you. I'm gonna get straight into my burning question. I really wanted to talk to you after listening to Class Act because you talked about being working class but from like a Radio 4 working class thing.
0: <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah.
2: So yeah what did you mean by that?
0: So I uh growing up never really thought of myself as working class per se and I think that's part I mean you t- tell me tell me if you're Resonate with this at all? I didn't think about class structures when I was a kid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I only knew people who went to the same state school as me. I, I didn't even know there were such things as public or private schools. I didn't know that people paid for their education. I only knew other people who lived in similar kind of houses had one car. Do you do, do know what I mean? Was, yeah, absolutely. My, my upbringing was insular enough that I didn't really know what working class, middle class, any of these things were um until I started doing stand up so I moved to london to go to university um and started doing stand up and and only when started making a bit of inroads with comedy in terms of doing things on the radio and little little bits in writers rooms for tv and stuff like that that I was like oh no one speaks like me and then it was an, another act who, um, who I I suspect would describe himself as middle class Uh, Was talking about my material once, and he was like, "Oh, you you talk about social class a lot." I was like, "I don't think I do." I just talk about you know stuff about where I grew up. And he was like, "No, no, that's 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 it's about being working class." And it it was only then that I was like, "Oh, right, there's there's something different about me." And you, you know what it's like when you're trying to make your way in any kind of field like comedy or writing or you know singing music whatever. You, you are trying to think of what's different about yourself because you're trying to think of what your own kind of interesting angle is on the things that you're talking about. Yeah. And so that kind of became that. But then as you say, I very much describe myself as working class for a radio for a comedian because there's there's kind of two things there. First of all, I think that like social class is very much a spectrum. Yeah. Like I don't think it's quite as binary as being working class or being middle class. And also there's other comics who kind of talk about social class in really reductive terms that I don't think are necessarily useful or helpful to anyone, mm. especially when you start making associations between class and financial income. like I've got lads I worked who, who I grew up with who work in construction. They've got a big house, a really nice car, enough cash to go out every weekend. I, I've also got you know friends from comedy who are privately educated, went to Oxford or Cambridge. But they have the privilege of being skint because they're not afraid of being skint. You know, they've got nothing in their bank account. So they they don't they live in a squat, but they don't they don't mind doing that because they don't have a fear of being skint. So also, like the life that I live now is not a working class life. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I've got I've got a concierge who takes my post for me. (laughs) <laughs> like I, I live in Islington, which and it's very again to, in the in the interest of nuance, it's important to point out that Islington actually, of all the London boroughs, has some of the uh, some of the largest amounts of child poverty. Like people like yeah. to use Islington as a kind of catchall for middle class elite, and in some ways it is, but there's also a lot of um, people struggling in Islington. But I'm very much in the part of Islington where I'm not struggling. You know, I mm. I have oat milk every day. I've got a coffee machine that's worth more than my mum's car was worth when I was growing up like so a bit and and, you know does that make me middle class now I don't know who's to say like and there there are times where I I kind of feel a bit um self-conscious describing myself as working class because I I, I always think of that tokenism thing and I'm like well if if commissioners are only letting one working class person through the door which is often the case Should it be going to someone who is struggling financially? Should it be going to someone who is in a tougher position than me? I don't I don't know. But yeah, so that, that's a, a very long way of answering your question as, as to why I describe myself as working class for Radio 4.
2: Well, I think it's really interesting that you say it was one of your, I think one of your middle class friends that pointed out that your routines are about class when actually it was just your mm. experience, but through a different yeah. lens, it's class and it's like, well, hang on, this is about 90% of the experience in this country is closer to yours or mine experience than people you know on mm. Radio um, uh, and yeah, how, I mean You're right it's like you don't want it to be a limiting thing especially when I think we're in this age where everyone's very aware of their identity and then linking that to their brand um, and all this sort of thing yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah how do you navigate just not confining who you are to you know that little bubble almost of all that um, image of working classness.
0: I think it's so interesting what you say about we're a generation almost that are obsessed with our identity and, and I think I think so much of that comes from social media actually, because I think so much of that comes from the fact that for the last fifteen years, maybe longer, I've either had a MySpace or a Facebook or a Twitter or an Instagram where in like a hundred characters in the bit underneath my picture, I have to write what I am. yeah, yeah, and i I really think that that I think that's done so many interesting things to our generation in terms of that obsession with identity. I think I think you put it so well, and it's, you know. I think it encourages people to identify by their job. Mm-hmm. I think it encourages people to identify by their location, by the way that they eat. Yeah. I see people putting vegan in that thing. I see people putting, you know, East London in their, in their bios or Brighton or stuff like that. Some people put parents, some people put, you know, the, I, I just, I just think it's, I and mean, and especially from the perspective of a comedian, because I'm so used to being in a comedy club and going, Oh, What's your name? What do you do? Tell me something about yourself. And it's so interesting how people answer that question. Yeah. And as you say, how how social class comes into that now. And I think about this when I'm script writing sometimes about how you know yellow looks brighter against blue, right? So the the things that are most interesting about us often often only feel that way when you compare us against something very different to us. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm working class in it because my The context of my life is a middle class context. I work in entertainment. I live in Holloway. I have my my daughter has about four different names. Like, do you know what I mean? (laughs) there, There are a lot of things around me that are very middle class. Whereas if I was back home, if I still lived where I grew up in Stevenage, I don't think I'd feel. I think I'd feel quite middle class because I've got an interest in the arts. Because I, I, I. I was about to say I read I I haven't read in years I have to I'm I'm really glad you've had me on.
2: Well no I was going to come to that actually because I saw you um I did read your five picks or something for the Guardian and they asked you what your favorite book was or the latest book you read and um you said um I have unfortunately rotted my brain with enough screen time that I'm now no longer capable of reading <laughs> books. <laughs> I can re- recommend some very good tweets though and I yeah really relate to that. Um this whole podcast Do you do you
0: read well? Do you do, are you...
2: terrible. So my um my boyfriend's partner, Curtis, who's the co-host, he um, he came to reading when he was sort of 20, 21. That's when he started reading and he mm. read Dickens and all that. He reads two, three books a week. It's just what he does. Hour wow. in the morning, hour at night, all the time. And whereas I'm... I probably had the better education, but I've always found reading uh, quite a struggle. I can either get, when I'm into a book, that's it. I've Nothing else exists, but I, mm. it takes me a long time to actually get into it. So this uh, podcast has been our way of me forcing myself to read every fortnight and try and get through a book. Um, so that's a great I'm, idea. I'm glad I'm not the only person. <laughs> that is, uh... Well,
0: it, I, I also find that like it's not just that I'm reluctant to pick up a book, but when I do... I haven't got the concentration to finish it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I get I get what I want from it. I get you know halfway through, or the the last the last book I read was actually um, an autobiography by a writer who I was actually living with at the time. Oh. Um, she she's a journalist and uh, she's a really good journalist called Decca Aikenhead, and she wrote so ba- basically she tragically lost her husband when her sons were very young. God um It's a really, really tragic story about how he drowned while they were on on holiday, and he drowned saving one of her sons oh, who was struggling in the water.
2: I cry really easily, so I'm just gonna like
0: <laughs> So, well, listen, yeah, I, I will, I will recommend the book nonetheless because it's a fantastic book called All at Sea. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure would what mind me saying, I didn't finish it because I was like, I, I got through all the brilliant stuff, and I, I had like a couple, of parag- a couple of chapters left, and I was like, I know how this ends. Like they're they're in the next room. Like I know, I know, do you know what I mean? It's like you know, I I ask her how she feels now. Can you Just sum this
2: up in a paragraph, please.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I know she's told me, so it's like. But I mean, I I you know, I'm being reductive. There's yeah, loads yeah. of interesting stuff in that book. She's brilliant. But um, but yeah, I I really struggle with concentrating with books. Um, and also, I I just think you know we're we're like such a social media generation mm-hmm. now, and even with that. Like I'm, I'm just at a point where I'm starting to put bits of my stand-up on the internet, and I kind of talk to other comedians who are doing it. because I'm awful at social media and stuff. And I talk to other comedians who are quite good at it, and one, one quite sad thing I'm starting to realise is that the way that I do stand-up comedy doesn't suit social media. Like I, I do quite long routines mm-hmm. that have a lot of setup and and rely on structure. And that's not what you know. People want a laugh yeah. inside five seconds, six seconds, nine seconds. Otherwise, they just scroll and scroll. And it's like no one wants to listen to me setting up a, a, an anecdote or a situation. Like,
2: well, do you? Say, I, I don't know. I think it's interesting because I think um, yes, everything's got quicker. But you know how, mm. you know what you watch and you know what you'll spend time reading. And if the hook's there and you mm. go, OK, well, I'll or not reading, but watching and paying attention to. We all pay attention to some things when it's worth our while. I think it's the obsession with trying to grab people's attention straight away. And and it's like if that's not what we would value. Then I don't think we need to worry about trying to reach people. uh um only switched on to that. Um
0: that's absolutely what I tell myself. I absolutely say, I, <laughs> I, my 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 material is just too. Uh, I, I want I want highbrow people who want long form thinking. <laughs> I, I don't want these. I don't want these short attention I do struggle with reading, and I'm I'm trying to get better at it. I, actually, the the last book. I mean, it's taken me so long to get through it, and I'm still nowhere near through it. is a, a parenting book mm-hmm. um, called. Uh, Called why french children don't throw food oh i've heard of that yeah yeah have you yeah it's hilarious it's, it's the it's owl in... eyes thing
2: does that is that quite a big thing That's yeah, yeah
0: that's in it um i do
2: that to children anyway um... to be honest when i see them
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I i'm trying to remember the writer's name she's hilarious she's really um she's from new york
2: pamela druckerman that's it
0: pamela druckerman yeah 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 she's really funny
2: i mean how is parenting going in lockdown and all that has the book helped at all? Are you allies in your <laughs> child? Do,
0: do you know what? It's, it's getting to the point where I do, I do need to start putting it into practice. My my little girl is eight months old now, and she's already not not in a bad way, but she's already starting to get quite a strong character and strong. Um, you know, you take something off her, she's not happy and stuff. But it's to, to be honest with you, I I do I feel strangely privileged to have had a child during this time mm. because. Touch wood, fortunately, um, I haven't lost anyone in my family or my friends to the virus. Um, I have had... So I've, I'm part of a group of people known as the excluded. Because so I was only self-employed for two years. I didn't get any money. Mm. So it, it has meant that I've had to just go mental and, and you know, get 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 six things commissioned where I would have only got two probably previously. So it's, it's been a good kick up the arse to work harder.
2: Yeah. I mean, what, you've done four, like 40 episodes of... On love, on drugs, and job centre. They've most of the, that's been within this period, yeah. Yeah, so we finished the on drugs series. The, amount of work.
0: Yeah, so the, there's a lot of podcasting, some you know script writing and stuff, some other bits and bobs, documentaries and that end the works. But yeah, it's it's been a kick up the arse, but it, it has been nice having, especially in the first part, having the time to spend with my partner before she gave birth to our little girl, and then having the time like working from home is challenging. You can kind of see now I'm sat in. The bedroom that we share with our daughter, yeah. because the rest of our flat is open plan. So, as you say, I've made forty episodes of podcasts in an open plan flat. So oh. there is a lot of like, right? Can you both be silent for forty minutes while I record something?
2: Young baby, you can do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you can you please think about what what <laughs> pays for your nappies before you? Uh... But no, it, I I think I I count myself quite lucky mm. with with um How lockdown has been for me, and I, it's one of those things that you can get upset about you know not getting funding and not getting this like the other but there's always someone who's had it worse you know yeah um so so I, I count myself quite lucky with that I should have used that first few months of lockdown when I had a bit of time to do much more reading and stuff like that but I'd, I'll be honest with you I just got pissed every day
2: <laughs> I mean I'm not here to be like by the way you should have done some reading that's not that I think I got pissed every day actually yeah it's, it's not just I, a book feel... podcast it's like I just i why haven't you read tell me why haven't you read more books <laughs>
0: I feel, I feel like I'm apologising to my English teacher in my GCSEs. <laughs> like...
2: Yeah, no, I have not read. I have a creative writing master's, which was a really stupid use of money the year before lockdown. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be creative. I'm going to do my writing. I'm going to do my singing. My singing is going to pay my way. And then lockdown here. And I was like, this is fucking bullshit. This is not what I signed up oh, to. Man. That's like the working class thing where when you do something, it's a risk.
0: There's there's no safety net. Yeah. And I, and, 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 and I, I do... I sometimes think there's benefits to that because I do. I do think that there are times when I've worked harder than peers of mine who do have that safety net. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yeah. I mean? There's, there's times when I think oh, I've probably tried a bit harder. But there's also been times where it would have been nice to just chill out for a bit yeah. <laughs> and, and not, you know, I, like when I when I first started doing stand up, it was like, you know, juggling retail jobs and bar work and this, that, the other, and other jobs that I hated and. You know, going go to these unpaid nights that you kind of have to do at the beginning, as I'm sure is the yeah. same with singing, and you get there late, tired, haven't eaten dinner, haven't had time to write any jokes because I've been on my feet in a retail job all day, mm-hmm. and then a lot of other people have just turned up, not working at the moment, that's all right, yeah. parents are paying the rent, it's cool. Yeah. You know, got a little part time job, just work two days a week, the other time's writing jokes. and then that you know, and you get this disheartening thing in the first couple of years if you see other people progressing quicker than you mm-hmm. because they've got that time, because they've got the luxury of, of those things and and as as you as you very correctly say, House, like, I think um it's it's very hard to have the kind of the awareness of these things when you're in the situation yeah it's only afterwards where you go oh of course it's because I'm you know I haven't got the same luxuries I've got yeah. the same and you think at it's your time, fault just like, you think
2: you're not trying yeah it, yeah,
0: yeah. I, sh- I should be doing more I should be doing more why, why am I so stupid to have this job that I need to pay the rent yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. I mean I- I'm obviously not committed enough you know
2: did you know it was going to pay off though did you have this if I just keep keep chugging away at it did you at least have a sense of um, the need for resilience
0: there's, there's actually a really interesting article that was written last week by, again, I can't remember the writer, someone in America about how hustle culture has come into comedy. And it's really true. There's especially like the generation below mine of like kind of newer comedians. Mm-hmm. They've It's kind of inspired by a lot of American comics who are like, you know, the pandemic is the best time to get creative, man. You should be doing seven podcasts a day and, and you know, filming everything you do and just put it all on social media and work. work. You know, there's this real I kind know. of hustle culture that's come in of like, you know, be relentless with yourself. Be unforgiving in terms of fatigue and blah blah blah. blah. And I, I don't think I ever quite had that. But I, I did, I did kind of think like, to be honest with you, I just, I just had a thing of like, well, there's nothing else that I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's not like I was, I was like, well, I could be a lawyer, but instead I'll try and be a comedian. Like when I started doing stand up, there was there, like so many comedians would have this joke that they would all do about how like, oh god, if my parents knew I was doing this, you know, how am I going to tell my parents I want to be a comedian? I, I'd be sat there going. I don't know what you're on about. My parents love that I'm doing this. But, and it's not that yeah. they had low expectations of me, but I, th- there wasn't that thing of like, well, you know, Jacob was supposed to be a doctor. Jacob was supposed to do this at like, the other. It was just like, there, there was really a thing of like, if if, you, if you're if managing to do something you enjoy, it's it's fine because we're not, there, there wasn't the pressure to to do a really um, high paid, important job. So I, I think as much as there was a thing of like, this this will work out if I keep struggling through it, there was also just a thing of like, there's not much to lose. Like, you know, yeah. I, I, and, and my, my flatmates were, you know, when I was doing stand up there at the beginning and making no money out of it and just kept going out night after night, gig up, cause I used to gig relentlessly. Like, I was, mm. uh, you know, even just, just before the pandemic, I'd be out six nights a week at least, yeah. if not every night of the week, sometimes doing two gigs a night. And a lot, a lot, you know, just before the pandemic, that most of that was paid work. But even the, the, poorly paid stuff I would do it because I think that would make me better yeah. but it wasn't really I can't I can't say that I had this like thorough belief in myself that you know keep working and it will all come out great it was just I, I really enjoyed doing it and um and you know what, what else are you gonna do with your time
2: that's creativity though isn't it um and that's a I suppose we think about creative person it's like a thing you you just want to do you want to get on stage you want to perform and it's the way to get better
0: yeah and, and listen listen it's it's I should say even stand-up it it is quite a and well it can be quite an easy form I don't know whether I'd call it an art form but it's certainly quite an easy it's very immediate that's what I like about it you know I can I could write something it I was gonna say I could write something now and perform it tonight. I can't do that actually in a pandemic, but you could try. most of the time, you know, I could I could think of something now, thrash thrash around the idea for half an hour, go go down somewhere, and perform and that's that.
2: Yeah. I actually did have a question related to that because you talk about how easy it is to sort of be a comedian when I think you said your partner is is working for the NHS or something and you write spent a midwife, day, yeah. Midwife and you spent a day writing about like your arse or something like that and getting a, <laughs> a tweet out, which I got about that. Um so how do you acknowledge that yeah, it's easy and fun but also while believing in the value of what you're doing and i think especially that comes up with the class thing we're not taught value of creativity
1: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
0: nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt
1: until you tried it on same goes for your health care PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
0: The same way necessarily. I think that's definitely true. I I mean, it's, it's a very have your cake and eat it thing to do to, to make a joke about uh you know how I don't particularly value the work that I do whilst also putting a lot of work into that joke <laughs> do, do you know what yeah, I mean yeah, like yeah. E- even that specific joke about as you say the comparison between my work and my girlfriend's work that you know that, that went that was tried at plenty of new material nights and plenty of time went into writing it so I, I do I, I of course apply some value to what I do and and um you know the the, the work that I do but I think it just comes from perspective and I think it comes from, you know, growing up, growing up and having parents who did jobs that they didn't want to do, that they didn't take enjoyment from that, and seeing that kind of level of sacrifice. Mm. And I, I think that's the key difference is I don't, whilst, whilst I work incredibly hard at my job and, and, you know, right right now my job is supporting myself and my girlfriend and my, my daughter without any support from the government and blah, 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 blah. I I don't necessarily feel that what I'm doing is a sacrifice because it's it's a very enjoyable thing to do and it's something I love doing. Whereas I, I watched my parents both do jobs that they didn't enjoy doing necessarily that were very hard both physically and um mentally and they travelled a long way for work and things like that. And so I I think that's kind of where it comes from for me and I and I agree with you about. Um, I don't think the world does necessarily owe people anything, and, it, and it's you know sometimes seen as quite a, a almost conservative and right wing thing to say. Yeah. And I think there's very interesting um, political origins in the idea of work and reward, and you know the, the belief in a, a, an economy that that rewards labour. Um, mm. I, I think I think there's really interesting things you can look into about that and how. I've got a friend of mine called Ahir Shah who's a oh yeah, he's great. I've seen comedian. him from
2: Edinburgh. He's brilliant. Have you? Yeah, yeah he's,
0: he's wonderful, isn't he? So, so he he and I were doing some like work in progress shows together, and he he's got one of his new jokes. I'm, I'm going to butcher it. I can't remember it completely, but um, it's <laughs> he he says he he really wants to be successful enough in his work that he has enough money that his children are properly left wing, <laughs> like <laughs> because and he, and he says because only children who it's something about universal income and how he doesn't believe in it. He's like only children who come from uh, who come from absolutely limitless amounts of money believe that the world should have absolutely limitless amounts of money. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's really true. And I, I look at um, the people I grew up around and, and their politics, and they I, there, there is a belief in like you know pull yourself up by your socks, work work your way up. There, there's a real kind of. Um, value in that and I and I that that's something I've always felt and I I, I don't think I'd be able to do the work that I do and I, I don't think I'd be able to talk about the topics that I do without acknowledging that like how can I, it's what it's why the it's why the phrase working class comedian almost feels like a um it almost feels like an oxymoron mm. to me mm-hmm. because because it's like working class means labor means means physical like yeah. Yeah, traditionally, anyway, but it, it, at the very least, it's graft. It's it's, and I don't as much as and I, I listen. I I, I work harder. What I do, I, I you know, I'm, I'm at my desk every day nine o'clock. I don't finish till half five, and I, and that that's not a lot. But that's I don't have to be doing that. I could just be going fuck it. I'll sit around and wait until I've got a yeah. gig later on. But I, I make sure I'm up. I make sure I work. And I think that's because of where I come from. That's because of the background I've had and the jobs that I've had. But. I still don't you know I can't compare what I do to some of the work that my friends and family do from where I come from Mm. and a big thing and I I read all my own reviews and I I think I I think that's a good thing to do for anyone in the arts because ultimately what you're trying to do is is so see I've worked in scenarios where I've paid people to be a director for me I've actually paid our here in the past Mm. to direct me strangely enough um and I'm paying for someone to have an outside eye on me so so you know why would you not read what critics write because they are essentially an outside eye and one thing i've read in in what people like about what i do sometimes is they say that i'm quite self-aware and that 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 comes into what you're talking about about if i'm going to be talking about working class stuff i have to acknowledge the fact that what i'm doing to make a living is not working class at all yeah
2: like Mickey Flanagan is your working yeah. class comedian, and obviously financially he's obviously nowhere near working class anymore. But it's that cultural element to it.
0: There's a, there's a gig in Brighton that Mickey Flanagan used to do all the time um, called the Comedia. It's a it's a comedy club called the Comedia, and it, there's there's a great big pipe uh, over the stage, and he he walk on stage and he used to be a plumber. He would do jokes about how he, how how he would have fitted it slightly differently, and I I just I like that. I, I like. I like that about other comedians. I like that about my own act sometimes. And I, as you say, I think I think ultimately being working class is, is a culture, and I th- I think that can be evident regardless of how much money you've got in the bank. And I I do think one thing that comes with that culture a is a level of humility, but also a level of self awareness.
2: Yeah it's interesting with with class I mean I have got no idea. I've, we always had this real aspirational sense of educate you have to get educated but actually when I went to university I was like well, what's the point of this because I'm not connected mm. like everyone else is. I started wearing I was wearing a headscarf when I went to university. So I'm like I don't even know I sort of talk about working class cuz it's the only thing that fits when you're not middle class. Like that's that's it's like I'm definitely not middle class. Mm. <laughs> so it's the only thing and I could I could you know posh up my accent or sort of tone it down depending on who i was speaking to and i remember being at a i was working at a cafe um and i was talking about how sort of brassica i was and the, my boss said oh well can't you just ask daddy to give you some money i was like who the fuck do you think i have like what impression am i giving you about myself like i'm not yeah i'm not working in a cafe for character building like middle class people seem to do it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. You imagine the privilege of working somewhere for character building just so you get a sense of money rather than need the money um
0: it's mad isn't it it's it's i i think i think it's so interesting what you say about um wearing, wearing a headscarf that's something that i again i wanted to talk about in that show that you listen to on radio four but i didn't really get a chance to which is one one thing that i do have a problem with with the kind of working class label i feel like it's so whitewashed
2: mm-hmm. in this
0: country yeah. i feel like when you say working class people don't incorporate people from different ethnicities into that bracket. People think of Del Boy, people think of, do you, do you know what I mean? It's it's a yeah, very yeah. whitewashed kind of, you know, if it's up north, it's 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 still a very white thing. If, you know, London working class people, it's seen as this sort of the old boys down the market, but it's always very white. And, and I think so much more needs to be done when we're talking about class and we're talking about people from working class backgrounds to incorporate people from different ethnicities and different backgrounds who are like such a part of what it means to be working class in britain Mm -hmm. such a part of it especially nowadays in 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 london in the surrounding areas i i think that's one thing i really want to change about because i don't know about you but i feel like being working class is so trendy at the moment i think i feel you see it in fashion in music you see posh people putting on the accent and stuff but it's such a whitewashed idea of what working mm-hmm. class culture is that is that's being made trendy it's it's a really yeah just steeped in kind of whiteness and I th- I feel like that's so false and I, and I feel you know and I feel, I feel like in in the arts people are talking about being more inclusive to working class people but only working class white people
2: yeah, yeah you know
0: yeah. I, I hear um Labour MP Jess Phillips the other day talking about working-class boys, but she's talking about working-class white boys. It's like, well, what about yeah. working-class black boys, brown boys? Do you know what I mean? Like,
2: It's weird because from the inside, it doesn't feel that way. And I think a lot of people... Um- like, obviously, yeah, white people will be thinking about working class people through that white default lens. Um, so, we interviewed uh, Hashim Muhammad, who is you should if you are going to read a book, read his book. People like us. It's um, he came to England as like he's a Kenyan-born Somali refugee, came here when he was nine years old, and now he's a barrister. and he's, His book talks about just how difficult that journey is. So, I was putting together a pitch on um, the university experience for people from low income backgrounds, and for me, that naturally would include every background but he, mm-hmm. he was helping put it together and he said make sure you mention that it's diverse because there's still this weird performative thing for non-white people or whatever the fuck I am to then fit in with the white image of what diversity is and what representation is and it's yeah. like this is natural for me this is hard for you why are you making me conform to this
0: no it, it, exactly and it, and it comes back to what you were talking about earlier of identity it's like you can't just have your natural organic identity you have to make it fit into the brackets that other people yeah. create even the working class thing, like, I, I didn't choose to be that. So other people told me I was that. And it's, it's. you, you have to think about the, the way that other people understand your own identity mm-hmm. and almost articulate yourself in a way that fits that yeah. rather than being true to how you actually see yourself.
2: Yeah. And the point is that so many middle class people or middle class white people don't have to think about themselves in those terms. I do want to just talk about tiny bit about the books before, <laughs> before I let you go because you mentioned to me, I asked you about two of your... Uh, favorite books so you mentioned grapes of the wrath mm. and the trench and grapes of wrath by uh john steinbeck um i don't know anything about it my partner's read it which is sort of a not depression era it's a great american story but there's a bit yeah. some weird boob bit at the end that's, that's <laughs> <what> he <laughs> some weird, did he tell you that he said there's some he was like that's an amazing book but what the fuck was that at the
0: end oh i Just thought the ending was great bit. i mean it is it is a weird boob bit Um. So it, it, yeah, it's it is one. It's one of my favourite novels. I actually read it at school. Um, but it it really kind of links to what we're talking about with class and stuff, and especially in America. And it's really, I think it's really interesting to kind of apply to America now because it it really is about class disparity in America with the Great Depression. How people who worked in physical labour basically lost everything. And it it follows a family um, as they travel up the West coast of America, because Mm -hmm. basically they they had a farm, they lose their farm. So they get grandma, granddad, all the little brothers, little sisters. They're all just basically on this big wagon, just traveling up this road, trying Mm -hmm. to find work. And as they go up this road, grandma dies, granddad dies. And it's so bleak. They've got no money and you know, they're initially trying to work for $5 an hour, then they'll accept four. By the end, they're accepting $1 an hour and then they, they take the work, they get chased off the farms. And <clears throat> it's just what, harrowing. one thing, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's dep- so depressing. But what, I think one of the most depressing things that it kind of teaches is it's like, you can feel like you're being treated cruelly by the person above you but they're only treating you cruelly because they're in fear of the person above them and you know it's about systemic capitalism and so and it's it's a really 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 interesting read um but the weird boob bit at the end so spoiler alert if you haven't
2: (laughs) i'm sure it's symbolic
0: (laughs) well it is yeah but it is also a weird boob bit so basically by by the end um (laughs) the, the 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 sister character the main character's sister I don't know who she feeds that they've ended up with, they ended up, they start as a family. They end up with all these kind of hangers on these other people who are looking for work, who are traveling with them, looking for work. And basically she's got this guy who she barely knows who is starving to death and they've got no money for food and blah, blah. blah. So she just breastfeeds him. I see. And that, and that, and that's how it ends. Is is on? <laughs> they're so poor that she's having to breastfeed the people to keep them alive, and which is kind of it, it's it's everything that the book is about. It's like an ultimate gesture of kindness. It's also quite grim, bleak, and yeah, but it's it's a good book. I I would recommend it. It's it's like, um, it's something I really want to go back. Actually, I I've, I read it as I say when I was like. Fifteen, sixteen for school. Then I read it again in my early twenties, and I was like, "Oh my god, I actually get what it's about now." You know, you know it. You, know, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. like when you're in your early twenties and you become politicized, and you're like, "Oh yeah, man." <laughs> and then I'd, I'd love, I'd love to read it again now and just really enjoy the book. Uh
2: The other book you mentioned is The Trench. So this is sci-fi. I've, you know, I looked up how to pronounce this word because I know what it. Uh, I've learned it and I rep- repeated it. The mega, mega, mega. mega, mega. <laughs> Meg- how do you say it?
0: The megalodon. Megalodon,
2: that's it. Honestly,
0: it's a giant shark.
2: <laughs> I read it, like a... Meg- megalodon, and I knew that wasn't how
0: he pronounced it, but right. So you megalodon. might you might have seen it. So so the trench is a sequel to a book called The Meg, and Netflix and Meg. has a
2: film like.
0: Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, with Jason Statham.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've seen it advertised.
0: It... Oh, mate! Like pure trash. Do you know, like, like with Jason lowest Stiper. of, yeah, <laughs> I know it's, it's a real departure Bless from his him. previous roles. Um, but no, yeah. It, and so, you know, sequels are never as good as the original. So this is even trashier than that. And I, so basically what it was, I don't know why, when I was about 13, 14, which isn't even that young, I just, I was obsessed with sharks, I loved sharks. And I, I remember just going through all the books at school, reading shark books and it must have been then that I picked this book up. But then it was when I was later as a teenager that I just read this book. And it's just, it's it's like, it's really shit. It's a really bad <laughs> way to spend your time reading. It's really, like, I, I so I, I, as I was, I wanted to talk about it. And I, I went back and, like, I read some reviews of it. And it got a one-star review on Goodread where um, a man called Michael said, this book sucks. I only read 100 pages. You'd think a book about a ravenous prehistoric shark would be exciting, but guess again. I hope the author gets eaten. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: you know we do one star reviews and I think that's like every episode we read a book and we half of the, the at the end we we talk about one star reviews cuz they're just brilliant. They're just the gift that keeps on giving. Like people who are angry and disappointed are so funny.
0: Um, it's so especially with a book because it's like if you don't like it just put it down exactly. they don't cost much money i know just just like you're not you're not stuck in a cinema watching a film you don't <laughs> like for like 3 hours you can just put the book down but no, yeah the meg is if if you if you like trash it is like really good trash it's it's so yeah great big giant shark i for some reason they've got it in a tank and they they're letting people come in to see it when i say giant shark i think it's 70 meters long <laughs> okay <laughs> it's 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 like a it's like a submarine sized shark it can eat boats and they've somehow got it in a tank where people are coming to see it obviously the tank breaks it escapes into the sea somehow like i don't know whether it walked across land to get to the sea or i don't know and then it, it this this guy is chasing this guy is chasing the shark around trying to catch it And somehow his wife ends up in a submarine and the shark's about to eat his wife and he has to save his wife from this shot. It's just, it's absolute trash. There's a sex scene in it. And I can still remember some of the, the, the way he writes about sex. I remember him talking about... People's pelvis bones grinding oh against each other, which is, is such—it's <laughs> such a mad way of describing it. And then it that was, is how I, you I, remember
2: I, bad sex, to be fair. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah,
0: bones grinding <laughs> against each other, and um, and yeah, it's, it was it was really funny. Sort of going back and reading more about because I don't know why this book just really stayed with me. Um, but I mean, some of the way that this—the writer is called Steve Alton, mm. and I mean, I guess I guess he must be like. He must be really rich now because the first book got... Um, I mean, it's funny because the books came out in the 90s and obviously really? it's taken 20 years for any of these books to become films. So he probably went through a good 20 years of being a really unsuccessful author and now he's suddenly a millionaire because one's a film.
2: Well, this is a whole series. It's gone on and on. He's got one yeah, coming he... up. The eighth book Are is he's writing coming... another
0: book or another film?
2: So the Meg series, there's eight of them. Those generations oh was out two years ago, and Purgatory is coming is TBA. Uh, yeah, so he's
0: really, really loves his sharks. How is he? Uh, cause <laughs> the, I'm pretty sure the shark dies yeah, again. Not not wanting to give too much away, I think it dies. But actually, no, it does die. But it has babies, so there's okay, there's going to there be more. Go, yeah. He he. The way he writes about women is it's it's like I mean the book was written in 1999. It's like he wrote it in 1929. Like. Yeah. There's lines like, um, a woman's love for a man dies when her partner stops paying her attention. And and what, a female character says to the main character, I'm a woman, Jonas. Don't try to reason with my emotions. <laughs> Which... oh, <laughs> it's no. like... That's so
2: it's just... Honestly, but I do need to remember this stuff. You know, whenever you feel like you've got creative block, no one wants to hear what I've got to say. What's the point in anything? Just remember just how much stuff is out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Just write it. It's so much worse.
2: It's yeah, yeah. Literally, the only problem it is the only problem with creativity and and being heard and finding your audience is the cost of marketing. Because if you can reach a hundred thousand people, you will get some people. However much shit you're putting out there, some people will respond to it. Because we're all. And mental. if you find a
0: niche, if you find a yeah. niche, this, this is it. Find find something as niche as prehistoric sharks, and there? you write however you want. However you want, and Pete, there'll be someone out there who likes big sharks. who Will read it
2: <laughs> and pelvis grinding sex. Uh, <laughs> don't reason with my emotions, How dare you? <laughs> i to say that next time, How dare you? Um, this has been brilliant. This has been so much fun. Um, oh, thank I don't, you for me. I don't know if I've got any other questions to ask you. There's anything else you want to talk about? Uh, what have you got coming up? Actually, what's um, your next big project?
0: Uh, do you know what it's 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 the weekend after a bank holiday, and I'm still waiting to hear about a couple of things um, (laughs) in terms of what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure I'm going to do another series for BBC Sounds. Um, I'm not 100% sure what it'll be about, but it'll be similar to the drugs one and the love one, which is kind of Mm. like documentary comedy style podcasts about a topic. Um, So there'll be more of that. And hopefully I think I'll be doing another stand up special for Radio 4 at some point um but in the meantime from may the 17th onwards i'll be doing gigs so i'll be performing Woohoo! stand-up around london which i'm really excited about and i'll be putting dates for that on social media and all that sort of stuff
2: this has been so much fun it's really been really nice chatting to you and getting to know you better and thanks for yeah really really oh, thank you for me. interesting comments um on class and books and everything and uh, yeah maybe we'll read meg for our next our next episode
0: <laughs> please do <laughs> please, please do and let, let me know how you get on with it if you do
2: <laughs> will do all right thank you so much jacob
0: Cheers, Hush.